0: June 16, 2022, I guess it'll be the 17th by the time you guys listen to this, but we're recording this on uh, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening here, Um, because we already did an episode this week, but we need an emergency episode here, because uh, in typical brotherly pod fashion, we record an episode and then a few hours later, actual news breaks, uh, which is what happened on Tuesday, and it comes back down to John Tortorella, it's a matter of when, not if, uh, is he the coach? Sounds like that news could break as early as tomorrow. And um, yeah, got a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, this is a <laughs> whole lot of stuff that has sent the, uh, you know, social medias into an absolute frenzy, which, you know, there's no place more fun when news breaks and flyers Twitter, right, Anthony?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. At this point, it is a question of whether, rather of when, not if, that is for sure. And I think it's more about the details along the way that are coming out. Obviously, Anthony Sanfilippo had a report yesterday that was relatively scathing in terms of the Flyers' management and upper management and ownership and how they're working together. And then I came out with a report earlier today. I talked about a bit with uh, Jason Bertidis on Stick to Hockey. I had my written report come out. So... I guess I'll give you the floor, as you can break down both reports and kind of pick through what you think uh, where the truth kind of lies.
0: You know, I San Felipe is a friend of the show. He's been on multiple times, and I think he's typically pretty spot on with what he you know puts out there. And I'm sure at the time that you know what he heard was real. But you know, when you hear the things of like they hired the outside agency, which again I, I, I I would believe that. But the fact that you know they hired Tortorella above the head of Chuck Fletcher, or without consulting him, or without his full, you know, complacency, I, I thought that was strange from the get-go, because if that was the case, that would have been the second time in six months that Dave Scott ultimately pulled the trigger on some kind of coaching decision, right? He was the one that ultimately deemed AV get fired by Don, you know, in, in December, and this one would have been over his head. I th- thought that sounded weird, and, you know, the way I kind of interpreted that was, it sounded like Fletcher may have had You know, he may have had other uh, cooks in the kitchen, irons in the fire, whatever you want expression you want to use. You know, maybe he was trying to, uh, you know, wheel and deal with trots. And then that one ultimately fell through on Tuesday, which led to the uh, John Tortorella. So he may have just been more preoccupied with trying to land him, whereas the organization decided that it was Tortorella. It's just, you know, it was a very messy situation. And obviously, the... But dating back to the, the press conference in January, the Fletcher and Scott one where they were clearly not on the same page with, you know, how they wanted to go about it when Chuck Fletcher's talking about, you know, building through the draft and wanting to do all the right things and Dave Scott's sitting here like fucking ranting about Gary Mayhew and blank checks, you know, it it comes across as some old guy making a complete mockery of the whole thing. But if he's actually wielding power here, that just there's so much, you know, kind of behind the scenes and... With the fans being as untrustworthy towards the organization as they are right now, and you have a report like that, you're just pouring gasoline on an open fire, you know, and... Again, nothing against him, I'm sure what he heard at the time was legitimate, and, you know, reading the tea leaves here, I'm sure there was probably some inner turmoil within all of this, but, uh, you know, you put out your report today, and I guess I'll let you break down, uh, you know, your your side of the story here, but I just, at the time I thought it was interesting and, and maybe overblown, but, you know, it really does kind of show just how fragile the fan base is the organization is the you know tensions within the organization the tensions between the fans of the organization that you know a, a couple rumors be they true or not can really just kind of uh, shake things up into a complete frenzy right now
1: yeah, and, like, look, once I'm done here, feel free to, like, tell me if you think parts of my report are BS, too. Like, I'm not sensitive to this. Sure. You know, we're, we're all objective. And you haven't pulled punches before, so I trust you will. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is, like, the the part about this is, and, like, like I spoke to San Felipe today. Like, he's a friend of a show. We're very tight. You Like, we've done how many shows, the three of us? Quite a few. And the thing that people forget about this is, is that he even left the door open to this in his piece. And he even referenced in his piece that this is very common practice for sports franchises to utilize consulting firms. And he did Like say that he had more stuff to come. He did say that he thought that this was Dave Scott actually doing a good job by pouring money into this. I thought it was a good job on Dave
0: Scott when I read that report. I'm like, okay, I'm in Scott's corner on this one, which is something I never thought I would say.
1: Well, well, that's it. And the thing is, is like, look, I spoke to people both in hockey ops and on the business side here because I wanted to find out if, let's say, was it business side versus hockey ops like Anthony Sanfilippo had kind of suggested, and there was the other account that kind of suggested that even further, how he said Fletcher wasn't happy. And I spoke to someone directly involved in hockey ops, and they told me that the the firm wasn't even involved in the interview and hiring process. What they were used to do were things like vetting, doing background checks, calling references, but all under Chuck Fletcher's direction. So if they're just there for like screening candidates and providing available candidates, that's one thing I heard is that like, let's say they provided some candidates that weren't typically thought of at the beginning. And I don't see how that's a bad thing because as one person said to me is that the flyers are already paying AV money not to coach here. And they're dealing with big name coaches. Like obviously, San Filippo had the report that they offered Barry Trotz $7 million, which I didn't even bother asking about because I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. And I was told about a month ago that they felt that they could outbid everyone. And I don't think that and I've been trying to find out the details on Tortorella's contract. Nothing yet, as they're still hammering it out, as we know. But... You know they're dealing they're not dealing with rinky-dink coaches here like any coach that they were going to hire whether it had been Cassidy or DeBoer or Tortorella or mostly Trotz was going to cost them a lot of money and they hired this exterior firm so like look we're not you know guys who are going to pump Dave Scott's tires all the time but he promised his, or he fulfilled his promise by providing Chuck Fletcher, a blank check, not just in the way of getting any coach he wanted, but also giving him all the resource that was resources that were made available to him. And I, I don't believe that, you know, Chuck Fletcher was like taped to a chair and like forced <laughs> by like the hand of Dave Scott to like sign the contract while yeah. Tortorella was like cackling at the other, like, <laughs> it's like... You know, I just I don't and like look, for as much as like we've criticized Dave Scott being like a sports like leading a sports franchise and all that, like he's been around corporations long enough. I think he was a very successful uh, businessman uh, for a cable company if that was it. I don't know if it was Comcast. He was the head or what. of Comcast, yes. Yeah, so like and even like I'll flip it to you, Dan. Like obviously we're not Dave Scott's biggest fans like but can don't you find it a bit far-fetched that like that's the operation he would want to be leading?
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the thing at the time. I'm reading this and I'm like, hmm, you're making these decisions completely either over the head of Fletcher or, you know, against his wishes. And as you alluded to, he's tied in a chair using his hand to sign. it like, that, that's, that's the mental imagery that I got, you know, whilst reading that. And it was just like, I don't think that's the case here. And I, I'm sure there's different directions. And, you know, Dave Scott being... The president and chairman, whatever the fuck his official title is, he has to be worried about the profits. Like, and, and this is something that I've been talking about the last little while here in just uh, the theories going on to the off season of whether they rebuild or they retool or you know uh, aggressive that they bring into bring out whatever. Like, this is a guy who's hemorrhaging fucking money because nobody's buying tickets. Right? Like, he needs to do everything in his power to start pumping money back into this franchise. And a lot of that comes down to spending $7 million on trots, which as far as the coaching contract goes is fucking bonkers. Okay. $7 million is insane. You know, it, it, it's, it was never ultimately when it comes to Trots, you know. It was always his decision at the end of the day. You could give the guy fucking ten million dollars, but if he didn't, you know, if he if he wanted to go to Winnipeg or had a different opportunity in Detroit or just didn't feel as though he had a, a future with the Flyers beyond the coach, you know, it, it was his decision to make, and that was always kind of the 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 thing. But yeah, I I, I think Scott and listen, like if this was like two thousand and three and there was no salary cap, I would love to see what Dave Scott could do because I feel like this guy's just batshit crazy and to go out there and acquire all the big stars and pay them all $10 million each. But, you know, you really can't do that anymore, and I think that's where you need a guy like Fletcher who has a little more understanding of the current um, climate of the NHL to kind of steer him down to, you know, Main Street here. But at the same time, like, I I, I do think Scott knows what's up here, and it's because he's part of the team that's eating all these financial problems because the fucking Flyers suck, you know? So I, I do believe that his intentions are good right now. It just comes back down to you know, what's happening versus what's not. And when all this stuff gets released to the public, these little kind of breadcrumbs from whether it be media members or the team itself or, or however these rumors about, you know, the fans are so rabid right now that any of this stuff's going to happen. But the front office, like, I guarantee is not nearly as black and white as people like to think it is. You know, there's a lot happening here. I'm sure Scott and Fletcher are, you know, meeting regularly. And it's just, there's so much more than the black and white you know, appeal that it has to, to the fans. And when things, again, like the report yesterday gets so worked up, get everybody so worked up. It's just like, whew, you know, it can get out of hand real quick, but yeah, I, I think in this case, Dave Scott did a good job.
1: And like, look, like I have my criticisms of this as well. Like I, I could see maybe you have too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, sure. we know that it was headed by Fletcher, you know, that right behind them were Briere and Brent Flair Then you had, you know, Holmgren and Clark, who were used more as soundboards than anything, but were very
0: I had people yesterday that tried to tell me they were convinced Clark and Holmgren were the ones that made the decision here.
1: Yeah, the Flyers Illuminati, for sure. (laughs) So, like, you have Clark and Holmgren as the senior advisors, who we know like Tortorella, and then you had the firm. And then... I was told today that Dave Scott was very involved in recent days, like actually at the Skate Zone in Voorhees when he's typically at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. So, I mean, if that was, if I had one criticism, maybe it's like that you had too many guys in there giving their opinions. I think that that time can kind of be like, a law of diminishing returns or whatever the fuck it is where, you know, you have so much information that it just causes you to overthink it. Yeah. And, you know, you had a lot of people saying that, well, you know, Chuck Fletcher is the only guy I think, you know who I'm talking about? Like, he's the only guy that's holding a Tortorella back. Like I heard this back in January, blah, 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 blah. And like, look, like, Maybe it's possible. Do I think that John Tortorella was Chuck Fletcher's number one guy going into the offseason? No, I don't. Nope. But I was also told today that he blew them away in the interviews and that he was by far their best interview. And that he was, and this is from the hockey op side, and that he was so passionate that he literally convinced them that, okay, this is the guy we need to go with. And you know, like, let's talk about Barry Trotz for a second. We all know that he was the best guy on the market. He shot to the top the list of everyone, this, that, and the other thing. But it's like, we know that Barry Trotz is in no hurry to, you know, get back into coaching. We know that he just bought a house down in Nashville. We know of his desires to eventually transition to management. And, you know, listening to Darren Dreger yesterday, it seemed like he's in no rush to make a decision and maybe even take next year off. Yeah. And for me, I'm saying, like, does the, do I think that Barry Trotz is an inferior coach than John Tortorella? No, I think you can make the coach that Trotz is the best coach in the game. But at the same time, it's like, do you want a Barry Trotz who, even if he takes the job, and he probably would have only taken the job because you backed up the Brinks trucks and he's just like, okay, this is just, I like, can't miss opportunity. I have to take this. Would you want a Barry Trotz who wasn't that bought in and was eventually hoping to move upstairs behind the like in management? Like after one season, just like, okay, so what are we doing here? Or do you want a John Tortorella who clearly is chomping at the bit to get back behind the bench, and it has been kind of almost a decade since he enjoyed significant success at the NHL level?
0: Yeah, and I think that was the thing. With Trots is I don't think they turned down, you know, the Flyers as much as it was. I don't think he was interested in making that decision right now. And I saw, I didn't read the piece, but some Jets site today put up something about that, you know, where they're he's not, in, you know, not in a hurry to make a decision. And as much as I'm fine with the Flyers waiting out this process, and we talked about this on Tuesday, that you know, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of interest in Torts from other teams across the league, so they probably could have played this out. But at the same time. You are running out of time here. You know, you need a coach going into the draft, which is two weeks from tonight, I believe, maybe three weeks, whatever it is. Um, three weeks from the night. So, you know, you, you got to hire the guy sooner or later. You got to make a decision. And if Torts was your clear number two, which they it, it obviously was, especially once Cassidy went to Vegas the other day, um, you know, then you, you have to go with him. And I think Trotz always kind of felt like a long shot. I really wish he was the guy. But, you know, again, there's... This was the, the the ball was in Trotz's court. I don't think this was a case of the Flyers not wanting him or the Flyers not pursuing him. I think it was a case of Trotz's taking his time and doing his thing and maybe, you know, didn't see... I mean, if you're turning down $7 million to be the richest coach in fucking, you know, NHL history, like, you know, there's clearly probably more going into his, into his decision there. So it was always kind of a long shot to get Trotz, and unfortunately they missed out on the guy. I would have fucking loved it as, if he was here, but at the same time, you know, they clearly liked uh, Torts. I, I, I don't. I don't not think this was a case of we missed out on one guy, so we're gonna panic sign the other. Like I, I'm pretty sure they, uh, you know, they want him here, and uh, which is good. You know, I'm not overly concerned about his coaching abilities. I am kind of concerned about how much power he's got, because if he ultimately puts the ixnay on acquiring somebody fun like Alex get okay, I'm gonna be a little upset in a few months. But for, you know, for the time being, I'm I, I'm ready to accept this new chapter. They clearly needed a veteran coach. Is the one thing that I was talking about since the very beginning of this process was going the veteran route versus a new guy. All these people, he's a dinosaur! You know, it's like, what the fuck were they gonna do? Let's sign this guy who's in the tier 2 Finnish league right now. You know? It's just, you were not in a position for new blood. You knew it was gonna be a veteran guy, and I'm pretty sure Tortorella has been you know, basically name-dropped throughout this entire process dating back to the very beginning. Like, he always seemed to be the guy, and it just depended on what Trotz ultimately wanted to do, and and
1: that's what happened.
0: Now they have uh, Tortorella, and uh, again, not officially signed, um, but I'm sure by the time most of you listen to this, uh, he probably will be.
1: Yeah, I would agree, so I would agree as well. And look, like, I have my trepidation about John Tortorella too. Like, for me, it's mostly about, like, the overall, like, philosophy right now is, like, let's say you don't get a high-end piece and you roll in with a roster largely similar to what we're seeing now as of, what is it, June 16th, uh, 2022. Like, you're probably going to get a team, assuming you're healthy, that's going to probably be a fringe team for a lot of years, not good enough to go anywhere, and you're just going to kind of be right in the middle. And I do think that there'll be, like, a more... like, respectable team. I think they'll be, like, one of those hard-out teams that take a chunk out of you, even if you do beat them in the playoffs. Kind of like the Columbus Blue Jackets during John Torrell's era. Yeah. And I think that's exactly kind of what they will end up being. And I would also... The reason why I'm a bit skeptical is that I would say, like, well, is that what you really want to be? So I could get that side of the argument. But it's also, like... You also have to start changing the culture here. You also, if you want to be accountable, you have to start somewhere. It's just I hope that they don't over-evaluate what they have. I hope they realize, and I believe they do, because Fletcher said it, Briere said it, that they need high-end talent. And historically on John Tortorella teams, they have high-end talent. Like, when he won the Cup in 2004, he had Le Cavalier, he had Saint-Louis, he had Brad Richards. Pardon me? i just coughing. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the button. That's <laughs> all good. And, you know, <laughs> and then you have the New York Rangers. I believe he was still there when Rick Nash showed up, although he kind of started declining as soon as he showed up in New York. And in Columbus, you had Artemi Panarin. You had Cam Atkinson, who we know is a big fan of him, and at that time was a 40-plus goal scorer. So I don't think John Tortorella's is completely as like anti-fun and anti-skill as people think. I think it's because we saw him with the Rangers and, you know, the Rangers only kind of got Marty St. Louis after um, A.V. took over. Or, you know, in Columbus, you they were kind of hidden. And aside from Artemi Panarin, they were kind of muckers and grinders. But I think he does have a track record, especially with defensemen, that really seems to work. Like, he groomed Ryan McDonough. We saw what he did with Wierenski and Seth Jones. So I'm really anxious to see what he does with the likes of Provrov and Sanheim and York and Ristolainen, if he could get healthy Ryan Ellis. So, I mean, I think there's a lot to work with here in terms of him. And I, I you know, dollars to donuts, I think that this would be a playoff team, assuming they have they stay healthy next season. But my issue with it is, is that, like, you can't just hire Torts and be like, okay, we're done. They're still yes, heavy lifting. Yep, exactly. Like, like, if they just bring in Torts and then sit on their hands and continue to just, like, draft and develop and, you know, overrate their own assets, then this could get really dicey. But if you bring in Torts and then you trade for an Alex to brink it, it could kind of get interesting.
0: Yeah, and that's, I was just about to go down that, that same... Tangent here is like you just because you got a big name coach like Torts, you can't go. All right, you know now we're gonna fucking hone it in the rest of the summer and try again. You know, I I don't think that's a good idea. Um, You still need to add. And it was funny, I was talking about this with somebody last night on Twitter, and they go, "Oh, so they're gonna bring in Torts and bring in Debrincat, and then they're gonna be a a first round playoff team like they were after 2010." And I go, "Uh, "What's wrong with that?" You know, like, listen, if you can get back into the playoffs, even if it's just to make it to the first round and get curb stomped by Tampa in the first round, like, that's a significant improvement from finishing fourth worst in the league. Okay, like, (laughs) you gotta take steps. It doesn't have to be rebuild and suck versus go for it, we're a Stanley Cup team. You know you can take tangible steps to get from point A to point B, and that's kind of what I hope this year turns out to be: is if you can get to the play, if you can add Cat, you know, this summer via trade, and you ditch Travis Konechny's dumbass somewhere, and you start kind of overhauling the roster, you make improvements, you get to the first round, you get curb stomped by Tampa, you go into next summer and make even more moves, then you get better beyond that. You know, this doesn't have to be such a a black-and-white process, quote-unquote, of rebuilding for another 10 years until you magically land, uh, you know, Connor Bedard or, you know, whoever the next generational star beyond him is. Or, you know, going for a Stanley Cup every year. Like, at this point in time, I am all for tangible progress of the Philadelphia Flyers. And, you know, if you want to worry about them being a first-round playoff team three years down the line, which this guy was, like, let's fucking burn that bridge when we get there, okay? Let's just try and get back to the playoffs right now, worry about anything later, and I think Torts can do that, and I think with a few smart moves throughout the offseason, player-wise, you can do that, too. You bring in one or two offensively gifted players here, Tortorella can straighten out this defense, you got Carter Hart, you know, you got a lot going for you, provided you can add a few good, solid roster pieces. So... This, this, you know, if anything, now they should be more driven to make moves as off season because you landed a top coach versus kind of honing it in and and not making any moves because of it.
1: Yeah, and look, we know that they want to be competitive more, like sooner rather than later, right? We know that that's what they want to do, and if that's what your intent is, Tortorell is probably your best guy aside from Barry Trotz, mm-hmm. right? And even especially for this group of players that it is going to be to instill like an us against the world pack mentality. We know as currently constructed, they're more uh, Robins than they are Batmans. Maybe you need a guy who's really going to bring them together. And one thing I like about Tortorella that he'll bring is that he really takes the attention off of the players. He kind of puts it on himself. He's very protective of his players. He'll go to bat for them with the media. So let's say in the case of a guy like Ivan Provorov, like I think Tortorella is going to have a massive positive effect on a guy like Tortorella, not just because of the X's and O's and the systematic, but even the mentality he brings that could you imagine someone trying to take shots at Tortorella with him in the mix, you know, that or shots at Provorov with Tortorella in the mix. Like that's something that I'm really looking forward to in regards to Tortorella being behind the bench. And look, obviously it's much more about a uh, mentality. It's much more about accountability. You have to actually prove to like be adequate on the ice as well. And that's where Chuck Fletcher's job comes in. You can't just hire Tortorella and say, it was all AV's fault, it was all Mike Yo's fault, injuries, blah, blah, blah. And then wash your hands of it. You have to bring in a high end talent. You maybe have to address that center position. I think they should, but who knows? You have to have a backup plan for Ryan Ellis. Like, these are things that have to get done in addition to John Tortorella coming in. Yeah. But, I mean, I also see why they would be drawn to a guy like Tortorella. Because if you would have hired, like, maybe not so much a Jim Montgomery, because he's kind of in the middle, but you would hire, let's say, Mike Vellucci or Kirk Muller, you're kind of kicking the can down the road by saying, like, oh, if we get in the playoffs next year or not, who cares? And I know a lot of people want this team to bottom out. And I get that, but we know that's not what they're going to do. It was never going to happen.
0: That Listen, the organization may be torn in different directions right now, but that was the one constant theme that we've heard from the people in charge is that they are not tanking. We're not rebuilding, we're not doing that. Chuck Fletcher hinted at it, Dave Scott flat out said it, and even Danny Breer basically said it as well. They're going to take their L this year, they're going to go into the draft and do good with the picks, and then, you know, whatever. I forget what the exact phrase it was, but we're going to take advantage of a bad season or whatever the exact phrasing was. Like, they were always going to try and get better next year. Listen, if you had a choice between trying to salvage this team or trying to rebuild you know, for a long-term sustained success, rebuilding is probably the way to go. But after eight years of sucking and the organization in financial fucking ruin because nobody's buying tickets to the games anymore because you guys aren't supportive as you say you are about a rebuild, you got to do something. And you got to start adding these people and you got to start having success next year. You know, this is a very desperate team for success. So the organization was never going to rebuild. That was never a path that was going to be a possibility. So it's just... (laughs) I just... I don't know, we can't hire Torts because he's going to win too many games. You know, I just hear that. It's like, what the fuck kind of mentality is that? Are the Buffalo Sabres these days with that kind of thought process?
1: But, like, for you, would you have, because we talked about it more last season, I think it was 2021, the the COVID-shortened season that we talked about it. But, like, has your mentality changed at all from, let's say, wanting a rebuild to now? I... I still think it's the right way to go
0: if you want the success. However, just because we still haven't gotten to the actual offseason portion, I'm very optimistic right now. I'm counting all my blessings and trying to cash in all my favors that the Flyers are going to bring me Alex DeBrincat and bring me, you know, Mark Scheifele and get rid of JVR and connect me and turn it around. Like, my hopes are pretty high right now, you know? And I think if you do do some of those moves, if you start making a little bit of change, a little bit of improvements to this roster with a coach like Torts who can make this team defensively sound like, I do think you have something here. No, I don't think they're going to win the cup next season, but if you can get to that next level, start kind of building a direction, you know, you can salvage this team with the proper moves. You know, maybe it rebuilds the way to go, but it was never in the cards, and it's why I never put a whole lot of stock into it in the first place. You know, is it the right way? Yeah, probably. But, you know, you can't sell anybody off. you got all these fucking washed-up veterans signed to disgusting contracts. You know, just getting out of JVR's one-year deal is going to be impossible this summer. You know, so a, a true, proper teardown. This is not like it was in 2014 when you had Wayne Simmons and Couturier and Voracek and Giroux who were all in their primes and all on great contracts and all on this. It's not like that. You know, you, you're just stuck financially. And, yes, you're still going to have to work around this, but it's much easier to build now than
1: it is to tear down for draft picks. So, because I also think that people don't realize that, like, I I don't think they're going to mortgage the future just to go all in this season. I think that they're just try- because you look at some of the players that they have, like, let's say you're including Sanheim and Provrov and Konechny, who are still, what, 25 or 26 years 25, old? 25 26, yeah. You have some decent young players who are already on the roster in guys like York and Farabee. You have a guy like Morgan Frost and Owen and Tippett, who, like, they've kind of taken the long path, but let's say they're on the roster again next year. Like, Noah Cates, I think, is going to be a full-time NHLer. Bobby Brink, I think, will start in the AHL, but is close. You have... Allison, who, if he could stay healthy, by some grace of God, who's young as well, but almost an nhl Tyson Forster, Igor Zamula, Ronnie Adder got a cup of coffee in the NHL. You have Ivan Fedotov coming over. Carter Hart's still young. Like, how could you go through a rebuild where you have so many young guys about to jump in? And it feels like they're – I think the Flyers are just missing – a bolster down the middle, a really high end talent piece, and just staying healthy. Like, let's say you add an Alex Debrinket, you add a half decent third line center, or Morgan Frost takes a massive step, and you have health on the blue line. Is this not a decent team?
0: I mean, if you're working under the assumption that Katuri and Ellis are back, I mean, that alone is going to be a big jump start you know, just to get it go. If you have a full season of a healthy Kevin Hayes and Atkinson can stay healthy, you know, he obviously trickled off at the end of last season uh, with some injuries, but I mean, just especially from the defensive side, if you can get a full season out of Ellis or at least three quarters of a season out of Ellis, that alone is huge, you know. Now, whether they do or not is obviously going to be the big story, but if you're working under the assumption that everyone's going to be healthy, like, yeah, this is, you you have a good foundation here. You know, that that's... Something that uh, Seidel talked about when he was on the show. You know, they are missing a couple big names, both in their prospect pool and on the main roster. But th- this isn't nothing. You know, you're, you're not as bereft of talent as as you like to think you are. And if some of these guys can take the steps, if, if you know, Allison comes up, if Brink comes up, if Cates comes up, and they all kind of develop into their own roles and how they're supposed to be, like, I don't think you're that bad off right now. Again, it's not going to happen this season, but... Two, three years down the road, if these guys all take their trajectory, you know, and you add somebody like cat on top of that, like, I don't hate this team yet. Now, we'll have to see what they look like <laughs> on the ice and whether or not, you know, the injuries, you know, do subside. But for the time being, like, at least on paper, and that's failed, you know, that theory has failed in the past, at least
1: on paper, like, you could have something here, theoretically. And it's not like they're all older, aging players. Like, look, the center thing is a big issue for me. Yes. Like, uh, like they got to find something. And, you know, I've heard rumblings that the fifth overall may be in play, but I've also heard rumblings that they are, they've are they kicked tires on Alex Dabrinkit, and I would assume there's a correlation between the two. So if you trade the fifth overall pick and bring in Alex Dabrinkit just for, for funsies— you're going to you know, take away an opportunity of injecting a young centerman like Cutter Gauthier or Matthew Savoy into your system. But again, who's to say that they don't take a year check or an image with the fifth overall pick? So if they do that, you still need to find a way to get a centerman long term. But in the short term, let's say you were able to pull something like that off and then either more... I don't know if you bank on Morgan Frost, I... Like, I feel like they're going to feel play the field with him a bit. Like, I mean, if you're bringing in, let's say, like a Matthew Dumba, like he's a guy that I would assume that Minnesota would be looking at a young NHLer with potential and a cheap contract because they just desperately have to shed salary this summer. But I mean, let's just say for argument's sake, you keep Morgan Frost, you're banking on him majorly to really rebound here. So that's the only thing that would kind of be risky with that. But you're also acquiring a 24-year-old guy who has scored 40 goals in the NHL. Twice. For, twice. And you kind of have, I think you've given yourself maybe another season or two to really find a big, de- like, um, to find a long-term solution down the middle. That's the thing. And, like, well, for you, like, I kind of ran through it with Jason earlier today. And let's say you pull off that deal. And assuming stays on the roster, and you have a top, nine of Debrinket, katori connectney x like let's say x well well because the other thing is is that i think it would be the fifth overall pick with probably a guy like faraby would you consider that i'd still do it cuz like if if you're the if you're the um Blackhawks, like, you're going to want Faraby in addition to the fifth overall pick. You're, you you're not
0: know? giving up Alex DeBrincat for nothing. Certainly not just a draft pick. You you would need, you know, to maximize your return there, and Faraby is probably your most enticing option unless they would look at somebody like York. So Fer, I mean, you could... T- <sighs> I like Faraby. I still think Faraby can be a star in the future, but, you know, I, I think his success at this point still caters to a lot of what the rest of the roster is going to look like and if you're not going to get him a proper center then like i don't know i i just hmm i don't know i'd do it just because i want some fucking change at this point i don't like i give a shit about any of these current players but uh, if fairby like if the fifth like,
1: hmm it's tough it is because if, if it's not fairby then if i'm the uh if i'm the blackhawks i'm saying well then i want cam york yeah. So, like, I don't... At like, least I you're need...
0: loaded on left-handed defenseman there. At yeah. Zmula can probably step into that role, you know, third pair, fairly easily this year, I would assume. And, I mean, you you do have... Oh, I mean, you got a shit ton of wingers coming up in this system right now. So, again, Ferriby isn't necessarily make or break either, especially if you're going to replace him with Alex Debrincat who's going to be just as good, if not better. Right? So, yeah, I would do it. I wish we knew a little... I had a clearer future on Forster and Allison before you yeah. could do that. But obviously, you know, you, you don't at this point. But uh, yeah, I think I would still do that trade. Fifth of Roland, Ferriby for, for Dabrinket.
1: Yeah, and obviously you'd rather part with a right wing. Like obviously, like we've talked about that Konegny would be way more ideal to give up than Farabee, But if you're the Blackhawks, why are you going to do it for Konegny? Who's a year older than Dabrinket you could make the case substantially worse you could make the case as kind of plateaued as let's say a 55 point winger on a more expensive contract as opposed to farabee who makes half a million dollars less is three years younger and still has room to grow as a player so obviously like i would not want to trade joel farabee it's just like i'm thinking of it from the perspective of the Blackhawks, can you ch- imagine the meltdown if they trade Faraby and the fifth overall pick for
0: Alex? Oh, 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 I can't wait! Oh, it would be a. Disaster. Oh, it's gonna be
1: legendary. A legendary day on Flyers Twitter. It, it would be really bad, that's for sure. Because like, kind of like the deal that I cooked up in my head is like fifth overall pick, Joel Fairbairn, and then JVR as the cap dump. I'd do it. If you can work in Dylan Strome in that case, too, I'd be fine with that.
0: Shit, yeah, Dylan Strome, yeah. You've talked about him a lot lately, huh? I'd take a waiver on Dylan Strome. Now, he, he's a RFA, his contract's up. He had a fucking phenomenal second half of the year here. But, I mean, if you're talking about just depth centers and you don't want to pursue, you know, you don't trust Frost, but you don't want to go after somebody like Cadre or give up assets for Shifley, Strome would be somebody that I'd put in that role as a 3C and just kind of let him do his thing there.
1: Because he was drafted in 2015, so he's, what, 25? 25, yeah. So, like, he's still young. I think at times he's shown that he has potential. I mean, obviously not worthy of being the third overall pick behind uh, McDavid and Jack Eichel. Was it Jack Eichel that year? Yep, David Eichel yeah, and Jack Strom. Yeah, and then Martyr went right after. So, obviously, he hasn't lived up to that hype. But, look, I mean, th- there's 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 some risk that you're going to have to be taking here. And I just, it's going to probably hurt on the surface, but like if you bring in Strom and Alex to bring it and then you flip a deal to get Matthew Dumba in here like that, that's a decent team, right? Yeah. Like obviously you're going to have to load up on some left wings. I would assume you would sign one, but even if you roll in with like, because then I would assume you bought, well, I'll circle back on this quickly. Like, after we spoke about it, do you think that maybe buying out Oscar Limblom is more of a possibility? It's it's
0: it's definitely possible. I think the financial implications are pretty ideal on that one. I would assume you still try and trade the guy, but you know if if teams aren't interested, then buying him out, you know, it's it's not going to hurt that bad. You know, it's definitely a possibility if a trade doesn't happen.
1: So, like, if we break it down here, you have, like, Debrinket between, well, with Katori and Konechny. <laughs> do we have to keep Konechny in this scenario? God well, damn like, it. Well, like, here's the thing is that, like, I just don't know what to do with the guy. Trade him for Shifley. Yeah, I, I, I get the feeling that Shifley may be staying in the end. That was some and of if the you're bringing Dylan Strome, out, yeah, like, so you really need moving him. Pardon me? <sighs>
0: Some of the stuff that uh, the rumors are out there it does, it does not sound like Winnipeg is interested in moving
1: him. Yeah, so, like, let's go under the assumption that you make, like, three moves. You bring in DeBrinket and Strom, you, and, or two moves, and you bring in Matthew Dumba, okay? For me, Can we just I send see, Konechny
0: to the ECHL or something?
1: <laughs> just to Europe, to the yeah. German league? <laughs> Loan him to the Finnish league. So let's say you have DeBrinket with Katoria and Konechny, you have Lawton with Hayes and Atkinson. You probably have an opening on your third line left wing with Strome and Owen Tippett. Maybe that's Wade Allison. Maybe you sign like a depth guy to battle for that job. And then you have Allison prob-
0: Strom and Tippett or, uh, Allison. Yeah, Allison Strom and Tippett.
1: I would love yeah. that line. And then you would have Noah Cates with either Patrick Brown or if he's healthy, Tanner Leszczynski and Zach McEwen. Is like that of that. Except for it's fucking Travis Konechny. But the rest of that, like, yeah, that's fine. But you like it enough where you could probably live with Travis Konechny, right? Mm, I mean, begrudgingly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you get a healthy back end and you have Provov and Ellis, you have Sandheim and Ristalainen, and you have York and Matthew Dumba, it's not a bad... That's a solid defense. Honestly, if that's your defense, and even if Ellis misses... 20 games or something, or like let's say less than half. I think Dumba's a decent enough facsimile for them to tread water. Yes, to be honest. Yeah, I would like agree. if Dumba has to jump in to the top on the top pairing for 30 games a year. I really don't think that it's that big of a deal. No,
0: I, I he can he can handle that role in you know, especially if it's half a season or less.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like, look, these, it's a lot of pie in the sky type of things, but, like, would you be, like, if you're bringing in Strom and Alex Brinket, like, would you be very upset about parting with Faraby in a first and uh, the fifth no, overall? No, absolutely
0: not. If you fucking bring me Brinkat and and Dylan Strom for, you know, Faraby and first overall, if you have to throw another draft pick to, to entice him on Strom, like, fuck, I'd do it. I I, I realize it's going to piss all the fans off, but like, I don't give a shit. It's time to start overhauling this roster, and, you know, ideally you want to get rid of guys that connect me, but, you know, I just, I don't care, I'm ready for change, I'm ready for something new, and if it's that kind of market, I mean, it's hard to get angry at a 24-year-old two-time 40-goal scorer, you <laughs> know, that's, that's a pretty nice reward for giving up Faraby, you know, it's not like you're getting
1: nothing in return, so, yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be fine with that. And you're also, like you said, you're bringing in a 25-year-old center and a 24-year-old winger, so it's not like you're trading these things to bring in, you know, a 30-year-old player. They're right in the age range of everybody else on the team. And then next summer, like, like you've gone over it, over it a bunch. Like, there's some decent players available next summer, is there not? There is a whole
0: litany of, as of right now, available free agents, as I panicked to pull up this piece, Ryan <laughs> O'Reilly, Dylan Larkin, Nathan McKinnon, JT Miller, Bo Horvat, Sean Monaghan, Patrick Kane, David Pasternak, Jonathan Huberto, Max Pacioretty, Timo Mir, Vladimir Tarasenko, Tyler Bertuzzi, Matt Dumba, Damon Severson, Dimitri Orlov, Shane Gossesbier, Jonathan Quick, Frederick Anderson, Alex Njelkovic, and Mackenzie Blackwood currently hi- highlight the 2023
1: free agent pool. Yeah, so, I mean, look, it's... um. It ain't half bad, like Dylan Larkin, like maybe next summer at this time, he wants to come see what's up, you know what I mean? Like, but you can't, you can't expect to be able to draw big name free agents if let's say you intentionally suck this year and you have Kirk Muller as your head coach. You got to start somewhere. You got to make the team enticing again,
0: you know, and, and whether that be to bring cat or whether they go hard on Gaudreau or whatever the case is, you need one you know now you got a coach you got a fairly solid foundation here if you can bring in one or two good players that can push the team back to relevancy you know then all of a sudden you're going to draw one more after that and one more after that one more after that and all of a sudden if Larkin comes available next year hey you may want to come around if Huberdeau comes available hey he may want to come around you know you got to start somewhere when it comes to you know rebuilding the image of the Philadelphia Flyers and it's the moves that are going to need to happen if something like Dbrinkat you're going to need to take
1: that risk and I think that they've been risk averse for far too long. Like, when have they made that? Like, I know they've made moves last like, uh, summer. Chris Pronger, I believe, was last time they made a worthwhile trade. Like, a big risk. And, like, I know, like, it's like last summer, like, it felt big. But I had someone tell me today, like, their big trade, their big acquisitions last summer were Ellis, Ristalignan, and Atkinson.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about the other day. It's like, boy, with the benefit of hindsight, last summer
1: was not quite as, uh, Dramatic as it felt at the time, no, it wasn't. Like you made really one move that like felt like a bit of a risk with risk aligning because because you gave up a first round pick for a guy on an expiring contract who literally everyone hates. <laughs> but Ellis, you basically got a freebie on because you gave up nothing for him, and Atkinson, you just swapped out a bad contract and a player who probably is of equal value and caliber but you just need a stylistic and organizational change like it, it sucks but and another thing that i was kind of talking about earlier today was that like don't you find that like maybe mike yo did a lot better a lot more for this group with the young players in such a horrible situation now that we're looking back on it and what he had to deal with
0: I think Mike, yeah, did the absolute best he could with what he was given, given how far this team was already off the rails when he arrived. And, um, yeah, I think he did a good job. I think he gave the guys, the younger guys, the college guys they signed, like, he gave them plenty of ice time the last 10 games or so. You know, he was not afraid to work in Owen Tippett. He was not afraid to work in Ronnie Adder, given all of his, you know, defensive goffs that he had out there. You know, he was definitely willing to to let the young guys do their thing late in the year. So letting them get their feet wet, you know, with semi-decent NHL minutes would have been a lot better than putting them on the third pair for four minutes a night, you know, for, for the last 10 games of the season. So I think he did a good
1: job with, with the youth, uh, you know, again, given the situation and all things considered. And even in regards to Morgan Frost, where everyone was, like, turning on him, like, he kind of played, like, the bad cop with Morgan Frost. But in the end, like, Morgan Frost looked good at the, like, post-trade deadline. Like, he actually looked like he was playing well then at center to boot. So, like, I mean, last year, to me, obviously, because of the expectations going in and the moves that they made in the summer, like, it was a colossal failure, But I think what Mike Yo did, and we didn't realize it at the time because it was just so, so bad in the moment, is that he helped develop the games of a lot of younger players save for Ivan Brovrov. Like, we saw Travis Konechny start to refine his game. Travis Sandheim really came into his own. Owen Tippett looked good. Morgan Frost looked good. Obviously, Farabee was a bit tougher because he battled injuries. You, like you said, you saw him work in guys like Cam York, who got top-pairing minutes on the right side as well, Ronnie Adderd, Bobby Brink, Noah Cates. So, like, I mean, in hindsight, maybe last season wasn't a complete wash just because at least Mike Yo, in very dis- difficult circumstances, was able to help develop the younger players. And maybe this year, because of the development they had under Mike Yo it will be even better, and maybe next year would have kind of worked as a development year in some weird backwards kind of way, but we're just not thinking about that because of the preseason expectations.
0: Yeah, you know, again, I think they did about as good of a job as they could, all things considered, last year, and by the time it was a complete fucking disaster, and all the injuries, you know, played a bigger role, and it's something that it's hard to acknowledge, because again, of the expectations when everybody wanted last year to be, and all the injuries, you know, destroyed that hope and dream pretty early in the year so I think they uh, uh, yeah it may have been a learning experience I'm sure they're gonna come back and you know it sounds like Allison or uh, not Allison his twin uh, Tippett Tippett, you know, has been working on his shooting this summer already. I believe he's back in one of his junior teams working on it. Like, you know, if if these guys learned what they needed to do at the NHL level, you know, guys like Ronnie Adder, who got taken to school a couple times, you know, he can learn off the bat and he can learn from those things. And I assume he'll start the season in the AHL, as will probably Brink and, you know, potentially Cates, though I don't know, it all depends on who they sign and how their depth shakes out. But, you know, it, it is a good learning experience for these guys to kind of get their feet wet and what ultimately happens with the Morgan Frost who the fuck knows but you know for the time being I, I think they did a decent job with the benefit of hindsight to kind of look back on it and how they handled the last two months of the season given they weren't in a playoff spot since about December
1: I know that we um like kind of spoke about it but like a couple of weeks ago or last week whenever the hell it was but like Now that we're, like, getting ready for a new season and Tortorella's going to come in here and, like, change the culture and this, that, and the other thing, do do you think it's kind of like... I've had this feeling recently. Like, isn't it kind of like a breath of relief that Giroux is in here? It is interesting how
0: the absence of Giroux is felt. And obviously, you know, when he was leaving, you know, the, those few last games in the last game were very emotional, and as somebody who, you know, he's been a flyer for most of my life at this point, you know, it was uh, it was definitely difficult to watch him go, but now it's kind of like, okay, like, I, I don't think he's coming back, I don't think it's a good idea for him to come back, you know, you, you, you let some of the guys go, and this is shit that, like, with the, again, with the benefit of hindsight, you probably should have got rid of Voracek and Giroud and Goss' bear and all these shitheads years ago, you know, and kind of let this new generation, the connecting Provrov, Sanheim, Lindbloms of the world come in and take their spots years ago, but you didn't, and, you know, it's not all Giroud's fault, obviously, but I, I think you can finally kind of turn the page with him gone, you can kind of close the book on that era, and unfortunately, is here for another ten fucking years, so there's not much you can do about that, but, you know, if he was gone, you know, I think you probably could have completely ripped the bandaid off here, but, you know, getting rid of Giroud and Voracek especially were kind of the two pillars of, of the last era of Flyers hockey, and now's your chance to kind of start fresh.
1: And I I think that's another thing that people kind of devalue of how hard it was for Fletcher that he kind of had to come in and dismantle a core that his two predecessors put together while simultaneously having to keep this team competitive. And again, like I don't think like one criticism I've really had of Chuck Fletcher is I don't think he's a creative enough general manager and I do think historically he's shown a hesitancy to really pull the trigger and put his teams over the top, like with the Minnesota Wild, like the Flyers in 1920. But I also think, like, how hard must it have been to come in here and be tasked with, first, trying to make it work with this group of players, then, two, dismantle this group of players, but also trying to keep the team competitive throughout it. Like, usually when you rip apart a core like to this extent as we've seen kind of over the last number of seasons with Ghosts going and Voracek going and Giroux going that you would assume that it would kind of be like a full teardown or at least close to it where you would have a season or two of leeway yet every single season he's been tasked with also getting back into the playoffs
0: yeah I,
1: I he
0: came in at a weird time the Hextal era was supposed to have amounted to something. You know, there was supposed to be a light at the end of the tunnel, and there never was. And he, you know, didn't really get a lot of opportunity to put his fingerprint on things. And we really didn't see that till last year. You know, in in 1920, he tried, he made a few additions to try and salvage the Hextal era. The Giroux and Konechny, Couturier, players like that. Then in 2020, the pandemic hit. I don't put a lot of that responsibility on him. I still think that was probably the organization's call to not spend a lot of money during a pandemic when there were no fans in the arena. Ironically, there's no fans in the arena now either, because they fucking suck. But, uh, you know, it's, it's... He really hasn't had that opportunity. And now that you finally have waited long enough where the old guys are gone and... You know what you have in Konechny and Provrov. They've been here for six fucking years at this point. You know, I, I think you can get rid of them. I don't think you're, they're they're attached to the idea of we have to win with Konechny right now. You know, I, I think if a trade comes along where they could get a Shafley or a Dipper Incat or whoever the case is and you have to give up Konechny, they're probably going to do it. You know, I, I think you've reached the point where you tried and you failed to salvage the Hextall era. Now it's time to kind of reassess where you're at and make some different moves and kind of try and build with this next generation of players. The the Kates, the Brinks, the Allisons, the Forsters, you know, and let these new guys come up and, and have their role and see what they can do. And, you know, you still got your, your Hextall building blocks. I think for the time being, Proverb and Sanheim aren't going anywhere. What happens next summer will be, you know, based on their play this year. But for the time being, like, I, I do think it is time to bury the past, and Fletcher has an opportunity right now to to really, truly kind of make this team in his vision. And hopefully he, you know, is, isn't terrified to add to you know, because that's the kind of thing that could be a, a franchise-altering move.
1: Yeah, he has a big opportunity here, and, like, as much as we've, I guess, criticized Dave Scott, and look, I'm not painting him as God's gift to ownership, but I mean, I think that at least during this process, he's shown that he's providing everything that a GM could possibly ask for, you know? Like, and I I, I just, I don't see how, and look, I, like we broke down like the reports from yesterday of San Filippo earlier in the show, like i could see how people would kind of try and misconstrue that into oh he doesn't tr- like trust his his team he's trying to overshadow he's trying to micromanage but it's like aren't you like if you look at it kind of realistically like why would you pay guys and i know comcast has deep pockets and we like to assume that comcast will just piss money away just to be evil doers but i mean like Which why are. would you yeah, exactly. But it's just like, why would you knowingly piss money away to employ guys that you don't have a lot of confidence in, especially when we damn well know that there's more likely than not the successor to Fletcher is already employed in Danny Briere, who was groomed on the business side and worked for a Comcast-owned team with the main Mariners. Like, it just... It doesn't really make sense to me. And that's why, like, when I did some digging and I heard from people on both the hockey ops and business side today, I kind of, like, begrudgingly was just like, okay, I had to write that story that kind of was in contrast to what Anthony wrote.
0: Yeah. And, and I do believe Dave Scott's heart is in the right place more often than not. You know, I, again, I think they're, they're hurting. The franchise, regardless of whatever the fucking fans want when it comes to rebuilding or retooling, it ultimately doesn't matter. You know, this is the Philadelphia Flyers. We're not the goddamn Arizona Coyotes. You know, this is supposed to be a proud franchise who's filling the building every night and winning games and making the playoffs, and they're not doing that. And they are suffering. I guarantee they're hemorrhaging season ticket holders. I hear from people regularly that are not season ticket holders anymore, and they used to be. You know, it's just a matter of putting a product on the ice that wins. And Dave Scott, you know, the blank check comment sounded ridiculous at the time, but I do believe that he's willing to pull out the checkbook and, and, and make a couple things and whatever went on in this ultimate hiring process of Tortorella, you know, I think he did that. And I hope that, it's the kind of thing that going into this offseason that could be the make or break difference in the pursuit of somebody like Debrincat, you know, to, to try and go out there and says, Chuck, we need to make this happen. Let's make it happen. You know, I don't think he's pulling the strings, but I don't think he's entirely out to lunch either. Like, I definitely do have a relatively new respect for Dave Scott after, you know, the last couple of weeks here.
1: And this is what I would ask you, like, why for you, who has arguably been the most critical member of the media in terms of Flyers ownership and direction, what about this process and like the article that Anthony came out with, the article that I came out with today, all the breadcrumbs that have leaked to the media over the last month or so? Like, what has made you become more positive in your view of the team, and by extension, ownership, and by further extension, Dave Scott? I think so far, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll reserve
0: my right of judgment of this one by the time the draft and free agency roll around. Because that's that'll, that'll ultimately determine, you know, how nice I am to these shitheads in a few weeks. But for the time being, like they made the right move, you know, they were in on Trotz till the very end, you know, until Trotz told him to sit and spin, you know, they were they got a good coach in Tortorella they didn't fucking go after Pete DeBoer or something stupid, or Kirk Muller or Jim Montgomery, or make this wacky move, or sign somebody when they originally got rid Yao, they took their time they waited, they tried they put money into him, they offered Barry Trotz seven million dollars for Christ's sake, like they clearly know what needs to get done, and I, I, I've i said this before over the last few weeks. If it was up to the Flyers, they would have gotten Trotz, and they would have get Goudreau this summer, and they'd acquired a brain cat. Obviously, that's not always how this is going to work out. You know, Trotz and Goudreau can pick their own directions in life. Unfortunately, this goddamn free will exists. But, <laughs> you know, if it was up to them, they want the best. I truly do believe that. And... You know, it's why I'm not so negative on them at the time being. It's why I have this optimism in a time when optimism shouldn't exist. And again, we'll hear in free agency and at the draft, if we walk away with Savoy inside Cadre to some stupid deal, okay, I'm going to be pissed. But for the time being, I'm going
1: to give them the benefit of the doubt. They earned it so far. So I'll reserve judgment. And do you think that like Fletcher's on the hot seat at all? To some
0: extent I do believe so, but I don't think it's gonna happen soon. And I re-plugged that article today about how much time he has left. And I mean, if they didn't get rid of him yet during the off-season, he's clearly gonna be here for a little while. And if you're giving the guy the off-season, the draft and the free agencies and making trades and all this, I don't think you're theor- theoretically you're not gonna be so hairpin to fire him in November if shit doesn't work out. But, you know, I think it all just is a matter of when they deem Briere to be ready more than anything. Um, And what, you know, whether Fletcher goes entirely or whether he gets promoted, quote unquote, to the president role, the Paul Holmgren thing. You know, I don't know. I think that ultimately depends. But I would assume there's some pressure on him to have success this summer. How much and how quick I think is probably TBD.
1: Yeah, that's fair for sure. Like, I mean, at this point, it's like you said, it's kind of like in a wait-and-see process. Yeah.
0: It, you know, maybe, I mean, theoretically, you know, they, they really haven't been afraid to fire anybody at random points over the last few years, especially with this fucking AV bullshit, you know, so maybe his job isn't as safe if they don't pull, succeed well this year, especially if they have a big summer. But, uh, you know, it just, from a, you know, rational thinking perspective, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, to get rid of him immediately in November by American Thanksgiving if you're giving him the offseason to have the swing. If they didn't have that much trust in him, you think they would have gotten rid of him by now, right? And then just promoted Brie Air or went after whoever in the interim. So I would assume he's here for at least another year.
1: Well, it seems like Tortorella got four years and Weeks is saying four by four, so. All right. Which I think is fair. It's about right. Do you think he lives out all four years? Um, uh, I would probably say at least three of them. He'll get... Uh,
0: my official prediction was December 14th, by the time everybody turns on him. so.
1: Oh, yeah, people will turn on him. I just think that we know that it's going to be... I just hope they know it's an investment. That's the thing flyers hiring hc
0: john tortorella in the neighborhood of four by four deal four years four million dollars uh bruce cassidy was in the neighborhood of five year four and a half million dollar deal so there you go i guess it's still not officially official yet but will be in the next you know 24 36 hours it sounds like
1: (sighs) fucking christ man like kevin weeks is a savage with breaking news huh Darren Dredger, NHL sources say
0: something is going down in Montreal. Trade! The Canadians have been opened to moving Petrie, and they would re-examine moving Weber's contract. I believe it's the latter. Trade call. So apparently Montreal is moving Shea Weber's contract, potentially.
1: Shit. Hmm.
0: Probably to Minnesota to try and make sure that organization can ice fucking the right amount of players this year. That $14.5 million locked up in uh, the buyouts. Yeah. Hmm. We <sighs> can finally get Shea Weber! <laughs> Ten years later. Still uh, salty about that. Yeah, I know. Imagine. Everything would have been different. Yeah, but a lot would have fucking changed, that, that's for sure. A whole lot would have been different over the last decade. If they landed Shea Weber.
1: Yeah.
0: <sighs> nice. All right, all, all right, right, everyone. I got go we'll... <laughs> guess we'll call it a day here. Uh, let's see, what the fuck is it? Thursday? I guess it'll go up Friday. So Sunday, another freaking flyer. Uh, the new one, we're probably going to record that tomorrow. So hopefully by the time we record tomorrow night, uh, Tortorella will be announced and we can get uh, Mike and Manny's thoughts on the whole thing. Shane on Monday. I assume we'll be back sometime next week to uh, assuredly talk about the, the meltdown that happens in the hiring of torts. And uh yeah, from there, uh at Dan the Felar fan at brotherly puck at brotherly underscore pod. And uh Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh
1: you can find me at a marco twenty five.
0: All right, buddy. Until next time, goodbye and good nights.